guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host for not only the ad space, but the podcast that's going to follow up uh, all the good things I'm about to tell you about these two companies. Um, let's put it this way. The Fieldcraft Survival Podcast, it's only possible with the help of our supporters. And we have two very, very good, very close supporters that allow us to bring uh, these podcasts to you. Uh, the first is Sig Sauer, and the second is Black Rifle Coffee. Let me tell you about Sig Sauer. Sig Sauer is the company that has brought you the P210, the 220, the 226, the 228, 229, 320, 365, a lot of numbers. But all of those numbers have one thing in common, and that's quality. I love Sig pistols. I love Sig rifles. I've been to the Sig Sauer Academy a bunch of times, and they're really, really good at developing firearms that will stand the test of time. Uh, I went and I took the SIG 320 armor class and I'm amazed at how universal that fire control unit is. You're able to build a 320 pistol in any number of combinations of calibers and size frames and slides. And the same thing with the SIG 365, whether you're going super compact or with the long slide, you know, the, the 365 XL, SIG is constantly doing cool stuff. Um, I'm trying to get my hands right now on a SIG cross with the heavy barrel to level up my long range game because I'm still running an older, I won't say dated firearm, but compared to the SIG cross, it's a lot heavier and I just don't like the controls on it as much as I do the cross. So please check them out, uh, SIGSauer.com. If you're up in New England or you want to do a really cool uh, thing, go to the Six Hour Academy. They have most of the classes on, classes out of Epping, New Hampshire, but they also run courses at various satellite ranges around the country. And the SIG instructors are top notch. Uh, they don't care if you show up with a SIG pistol or you show up with a high point. Well, maybe they do care if you show up with a high point, but as long as your gun can run, these guys can, and gals, um, I got to make sure I shout out Hannah Billadu, who's an awesome instructor as well. Uh, make sure you check them out because they'll get you to the next level. Okay. Show up with a good gun. They'll make you a better shooter. So sigsauer.com. Uh, check out the Sig Sauer Academy while you're at it. Second sponsor for this podcast, good friends over at Black Rifle Coffee. I'm currently drinking a Black Rifle Coffee ready to drink beverage. Here we go. I normally don't slurp, but I had to prove it. Um, that stuff is really, really like energy in a can, 200 milligrams for their espresso, whether you go with cream or you go with the mocha, it's really good stuff. We are constantly running on Black Rifle Coffee over here at the company, whether it's the ready to drink stuff like I have right here, or it's the Keurig, uh, the little K-cup things, or instant coffee, or the drip coffee, whatever it is, we are all fans of Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, and I'll tell you this, they have some of the best artists over there for their coffee bags. Um, shout out to my buddy, Chris over there. Uh, they've got a lot of interesting designs for their coffee bags. I don't want to bring some of them up here. Let's just say, look online, take a look at all the different designs that they have. And I think you're going to be floored. Uh, we are constantly hanging out with the guys from black rifle coffee. Uh, when we do our events, we're bringing black rifle coffee in our black rifle coffee covered sprinter van. And people are always stopping us and waving at us on the highway. So, uh, guys, please check them out. If you go to their website right now, which is blackriflecoffee.com, and you use the coupon code CRAFT15, like Fieldcraft, CRAFT15, you're going to get 15% off your order. And 
I can't tell you every single product that you're going to get the 15% off on. I'm not the tech guy that can tell you how things are coded, but if you play around and you mess around with like, Oh, let me try putting this in here and putting that in there. You may see that a discount code is applied when you use craft 15. That's the best I can give you right now. And in this economy, save a little extra money that you can put towards ammo or put towards your end of the world supplies. Maybe that's more coffee. I don't know. But guys, use the code CRAFT15 and you're going to get 15% off when you buy from Black Rifle Coffee. All right. So we're going to get down to this podcast. Uh, I think we're about ready. So again, thank you so much, Black Rifle Coffee and 6R Firearms. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host for this episode. And I'll tell you, this is one of those episodes that... I was thinking about for a while and I wasn't even sure if I was going to do it, but the more people who I talked to recently, the more people uh, told me, oh, you have to bring this up. You see, the focus of many of the Fieldcrafts for All podcasts are events that could happen to you. Any of you listening could experience an emergency night out or an urban crisis that requires you to bug out. Some of you might even experience a self-defense scenario where you have to throw hands, grapple, draw weapons, right? No one wants to think about that. It could happen to you. Other times we talk to guests who survive incredible odds and their stories are captivating, right? You talk to people who have been out in the world's worst weather, have been attacked by bears, have been you know, in harm's way and they survived. Many times we can't even believe that they survived. This podcast today isn't about something we may experience. It's about something um, that's an absolute certainty in our lifetime. And I'm not talking about taxes. Um, I'm talking about death and what we can do to prepare for it. If you're the type that doesn't want to have this type of discussion, you're probably going to turn this podcast off right now. And I'm totally fine with that. But I want you to realize at some point you're going to have to have this discussion and you're going to want to talk to your loved ones about this because it, it it's something that can make their life easier. Uh, so if you care about your legacy and making sure your loved one is given respect as they cross over, uh, please pay attention. Guys, today with me is Michael Berry. Um, not too long ago, my, uh, my mother was diagnosed with biliary cancer. And I took a hiatus from working at the company for a good portion of, say, like a month. And while I was dealing with that, you know, I put very little on social media. I tend to be a private person. I don't give out a lot of details about my personal life. You know, I don't really bring up my girlfriend. I don't, I don't do a lot. I don't show photos of my nieces. Like, I want to protect them. Well, I did put out, hey, you know, cancer sucks or something like that. And this gentleman reached out to me and he's like, hey, if you ever need to talk, let's talk. And I, I kept that in the back of my mind. I was like, yeah, I, I want to. So Michael Berry is going to join me today. And we're just going to have a candid discussion about a lot of the things people don't think about. And listen, I could easily make this, you know, doom and gloom and I could, I could easily you know, bring us down a negative path. But the goal of this is not to focus on the negative. It's to explain how you can turn something negative into a positive, how you can rest assured that this inevitability that's going to touch us all someday, if it hasn't already, doesn't have to be as bad as everyone wants to make it out to be. 
So uh, I'm just going to get right down to this and I'll tell you that I'm going to try to keep it together because at the time of recording this, my mother passed away less than two weeks ago. And, you know, I had a good month or so at her bedside to, you know, watch her transition over, help her be a good son, that type of thing. But there might be times I get choked up and guess what? That's totally fine. So guys, here we go. Um, let's just start talking. So Michael, welcome to the Field Crafts for Health podcast. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, thank you so much, number one, for reaching out to me. And thanks, number two, for coming on. Um, let's kind of set the record straight. Who are you? What do you do? Why did you reach out to me? And kind of paraphrase what you, you sent me in a message. Um, well, I was, a, I was also a fellow high school history teacher years ago. Um, and then I did that for about six years. And while I was doing that in Southern Indiana, where I grew up, I um, started getting involved in a local church and um, just felt one day it was time to stop teaching U.S. history and start teaching about the Bible. And so I got out and became a pastor, worked with college students and men's ministries in West Virginia. And while I was there, I got a job with, uh, with an organization called Corporate Chaplains of America, where you just you're just a workplace chaplain. You're part of the HR department. And you just show up at somebody's workplace. For me, it was Coca-Cola drivers. And you would show up early in the morning and hang out and just build some relationships. And then when life would get hard, then they knew me and they trusted me. And we could work on getting things worked out if it was marriage stuff or family or um, you know loss that you've been walking through for the last several weeks now. And then eventually the, that led to... Um, we left West Virginia 10 years ago and we've been in uh, Wyoming for the last 10. And so I can't call myself a mountain man, but I sure want to be someday. And, uh, and been doing, been doing the church stuff and leading the church there. Uh, but also on the, I've been a chaplain with the local police department for the, the last seven years now and just hanging out with that crew and those people and, um, just trying to be a resource and help any way I can. And so it's, it's just how I'm wired. I've been wired that way since I was young and it's, it's a good fit. So when I saw your social media post, I thought, you know, we don't know each other and this social media stuff is weird, but I just feel like I got a, sometimes a, an anonymous voice can even be a little, little easier to open up to and share with. And so, I mean, I know what kind of pain you're going through and I've seen it a lot in a lot of people's lives. And so I thought I just need to take a stab and say, Hey, I'm here if you need me. Yeah. And and I appreciate that. And the role of a chaplain is, is a very important role. And there are some people out there that would say, well, I'm not religious. And it's like, dude, slow down. (laughs) We're not, we're not (laughs) talking about, you know, religion here. We're talking about an experience. Um, and you can take it the religious route if you want, you can go completely secular if you want, you can, you can look at it any way that you want, but you can't deny that a chaplain, someone who hears from so many different people about these horrible experiences and provides guidance can offer something to someone if they, they have nowhere to turn. Um, you know, one of my good friends was a 9-11 first responder and there were chaplains that worked overtime around 9-11 in New York City. Um, and they're some of the most highly respected and appreciated people out there. Um, what you just said now about talking to a complete stranger, there's an idea that like you have to always fall back just on friends, right? Like 
keep your closest people next to you. But sometimes talking to a complete stranger, they're so removed from your personal experience. They can just give you very objective advice. Um, and, and that's why I was like, this is going to be awesome. Like we're going to talk. We like, even when we, even when we were coordinating this podcast, I tried keeping my conversation with you as limited as possible. Not because I'm a jerk. Uh, you know, I just, <laughs> I just wanted it to be as real as possible. Like we haven't, before I called you, I didn't talk to you on the phone once before this podcast. And, uh, nope. I just want to have it be real. Um, so you, you left teaching, you got involved in the church and then you started working for law enforcement as a chaplain. Now, obviously mm -hmm. with law enforcement, I mean, hats off to these guys, right? In, in an era when everyone says, oh, defund the police, like mother of God, really like defund the people that are part-time social worker, part-time stepdad, stepmom, law enforcement. I mean, a little bit of everything, community relations. Like, why would you want to take money away from these people? Give them more training, give them more support like you offer. Um, what are some of the common things that you've experienced as a chaplain working with the police? Like, what what's a common issue that someone comes up to you with? Um, usually at the, the stress of the job, I mean, I think it's different. There's different stressors in different locations around the country. Um, I'm in, I'm in Laramie and it's, it's a college town and it's relatively small, but the, the thing they deal with a lot, like there's not a lot of, um, you know, gang violence and all the stuff you see on TV, but the thing that tends to hit them really hard is the, is the family stuff. It's, domestic disputes and kids in the middle and people just making the same bad decisions over and over and over again. Um, they're always like, there's not too many people that when you see the, the red and blue flashing in your rearview mirror, they're really happy to see you. So they're always kind of in that space of being there for someone's, you know, bad news or some, sometimes people's worst day ever. Um, and then everything in between and they have, families and lives and kids. And so, you know, some of the debriefs I've been with or with officers, even after a, you know, several years ago, there was a 15 year old, 15 or 16 year old young woman that took her own life. And so that hit many of the officers because they had girls that were in that same age range. And it just hit like with all the questions that you would normally have as a community and as a family just hit them hard. And just helping them process through that. And they have some of the same, I think you just watch for some of the bad, the potential bad that can happen. And you see it when, if you read any of the stuff with first responders or veterans, or, you know, there's a tendency to either, to just try to, to numb and dull what you're going through. And so that often can lead to too much drinking and maybe some substance abuse or risky behavior with, cheating and affairs and blowing up relationships. And so I just, I just try to work really hard to prevent that stuff, but, and to help when it happens and to help families get through it. Um, I think sometimes we've been pretty successful and sometimes it's, it's ended up just picking up the pieces after the blowups happened. But I'd say the thing that hits them most is kids. If there's a, there's a kid or a teen that's abused or there's some kind of hurt, it brings about, which it should in all of us, it brings about a, just a different level of rage and helping them process through all that. And you see that day in and day out over a career, it can really start to stack up on you if you don't have a place to put it. And, and I think that's, that's an important point to bring up is that you got to let it out, 
right? I mean, one of the things we used to say, and you'll appreciate this as a teacher, was you know, teaching was a great career, but you don't you didn't want to bring all the aspects of your career home with you. Um, I remember there was a girl that was one of my students, one of my first years of teaching, and the mother and the father split, and the the father started shacking up with this new woman, and the new woman was very jealous of the daughter and forced the daughter mm. to sleep in places that I don't even want to mention. And when we heard this as a group of teachers, like we like we were filled with rage. I mean, we're supposed to be teachers, and meanwhile, we wanted to like <laughs> we wanted to do something and like kick open that door and, and help this daughter, you know? Um, yeah. But I think you you hit the nail on the head when you said that if you don't have an outlet for it, you tend to go to these negative places, right? I mean, I, I know that when people get a bad diagnosis, whether it's cancer or you get word that someone died, one of the first emotions is anger, right? Uh, angry either at your faith, angry at just some unknown, but I've seen people punch walls. I've seen people scream. I've seen people uh, get angry at each other where they're embracing and they're, they're trying to break free, but they're just mad, you know? Yeah. Um, I think that anger is natural. I think it's, it's like our body's like defense mechanism. Um, is there a better outlet? Like we, we said, Hey, don't, don't use substances. Uh, don't get into affairs or relationships you shouldn't be in. Like, what's your recommendation for someone who's just in that phase where they're just mad? Like you cannot get a word into them. They're just angry as all hell. I try to get people not to, to spend all that time alone. Um, and I know with, and, and you've read, I'm sure you've read all the same stuff where it's like what did Robert Putnam wrote that book a long time ago, uh, bowling alone. And he just talked about the, uh, the lack of social connectivity that society has. And I remember I read it in college. And so it's been a while and he, he didn't give you his, his, um, his reasoning for why people are so disconnected to the very end of the book, because he didn't want people to throw it out. But he just said like, you don't have, and you don't have that much time in the day. And so if you spend four hours a day, this was written in the nineties, early nineties. If you spend four hours a day watching television, then you don't have much time in the rest of your day to be in social groups, to help the fabric of society and help your own, your own heart. And today, you know, with social media and the way we disconnect, it's even, I think it's 10 times worse. And so if someone's just feeling all the anger and rage, you really need, you really need someone to help you process that. You know, it's okay to be angry. It's okay. I mean, that's the natural grief process. It's, it. you know, you need to have someone you trust and someone that can be there for you, that you can say all the most ridiculous, disgusting, gross, hate-filled stuff, but they're not going to turn their back on you. They know you, they care for you, they love you. And they're going to be there and they, they can be the punching bag for a while. Um, you know, cause we're, we're all in kind of a place of tricky balance between our, you know, our health and our emotions and our social connections and our spiritual lives. And, and then when something really dramatic happens, it, it can shake one or two of those. And then everything is just completely out of whack. And so you need some, I've always tell people they need some trusted people that are, that can be around and who is it. And if they don't have anybody, then, you know, I inject myself into that a little bit and take care of them and check on them and 
try to be there without being, you know, too over the top or too pushy. And, you know, and there is the, there is that, that spiritual connotation of being a, a pastor and a chaplain. So you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want people to think that you're, that they're your project, that you're just trying to get them to come to this decision of faith, but you really genuinely care. Um, and so I've, I do a lot of pointing people in the, in directions of other people who can be a support and can help. And, um, but when you're just that angry, I think you need people around that accept you for who you are and just allow you that space to breathe. Because too often we, you know, it's, I love the idea of the American, you know, exceptionalism and pull yourself up by your bootstraps and carve out of the wilderness, this place to live. But it's also created in us a kind of a cultural connection to, well, just pick yourself up and get back to work. And the mourning process and the grief process takes longer than, you know, two weeks vacation. It takes, it's, it's a long process and there's days that will be filled with joy and then there's then great memories. And then there's days when you don't want to get out of bed and it, it all just feels like it's crashing. And if you have someone that can be there, it's a phone call away, a, a trip by, then that's, that's all the difference in the world. And I tell Pete, it's awkward because people don't know what to say. Like you've, you've lost someone that's dear to you or something you know, you didn't expect, didn't see coming. You get that phone call from the lab results and you, your head's spinning and then you just don't know what to do next. And so if I, I encourage people in, in my circles to err on the side of being a little, little in people's lives and then just tell them like, Hey, if I'm being around too much or if I'm being too pushy or if you just need some space, let me know. But you always hear people say, Hey, just give me a call if you need me. Right. Right. Well, but that person's in the middle of grief and they're probably not going to call you because they don't want to put their problems on you. They probably don't want to be in a place of feeling like they're a burden and all these other things stack up. And so I just, I, you, you need to have, you need to have a tribe or a crew or a, a church community or, you know, your friends. And that's, I think that's one of the keys to get through it all. Yeah. I'll try to bring, I'll try to bring this conversation back to my personal experience to kind of temper, you know, this discussion with an actual example of it. Um, you, you brought up the idea of like, don't be alone. Huge. I mean, it, it's so significant because what do we tend to do when we're waiting for something we get on we go on our phone and people put up on instagram mm -hmm. only good things right you're, you're usually not looking yeah. at someone's you know a, a whole feed of oh well my car broke down and dinner was cold you know like people tend to live through this fake life on instagram so get off your phone be around people uh, the other thing is you talked about how the common question is hey man how you doing well when my mother was passing away a lot of people reached out to me. I got that question, I don't know how many times, sometimes over the phone, sometimes in person. Like when I went back home to my my hometown, I mean, it's a big town of 68,000 people, but it's the biggest small town in the world because everyone knows everyone. So how are you doing? Why are you in town? And you have to keep answering with the same painful experience. And I would have to say, I'm in town because my mother is suffering from cancer and it's a very aggressive form, you know, like, and you have to keep saying it and it, 
forces you to rip that bandage off every single time. Right. Um, yeah. And then when someone would text me and be like, Hey man, I heard about your mom. How is she? I swear this is what I had to do. Like I was with her for th- uh, four weeks by like week two and a half. I had cut and paste answers because I was just tired of taking the 15 or 20 seconds to type out. We're doing the best we can. We're taking it day by day. You know, she's not in pain. Like, but to be able to just be able to cut and paste, that was one of the the things. If, if anyone is, is going through this right now, have sample responses that you just plug and play, man, because it hurts too much to just spend that much time replying. And sometimes if it's someone who's not super close to you, maybe they don't even need to know. Um, or maybe they deserve that cut and paste response. If it's someone who's near and dear, dear to you, like your tribe, um, and I'll talk about that in a second, then give them the extra time to to vent because those are the people you want to fall back on. Um, you know, when I got the call, hey, go home, you know, mom, mom's sick. I was home for part of June. Then I, I came back to, to Utah and then we got word that she was going to be back home. And I was under the impression that, you know, it, like she was going to live for months and months. And they're like, no, 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 it's going to be weeks. Get back here now. And Fieldcraft was like, go, you can work from home if you need to. And the company was awesome. Uh, my friends in Sayak Kali, my, my training group, my tribe, they were right there with me, texting the whole time, messaging me. Everyone was checking in on me. Uh, good friends from home were, were there. Eventually, when my mother passed, my buddy Jerry, who's one of our Fieldcraft instructors, Jerry and I go back to 2006. He says, mm. what kind of coffee do you like? <laughs> and this is like the morning that my mother passed, right? Uh, he goes, what kind of coffee do you like? I'm like, why? He goes, I'm in your town. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, you serious? And he goes, and, and Jerry, he lives like two and a half hours away from me. He drove out and he didn't even ask me how I was doing. He just gave me like the bro hug. And that's something that you alluded to earlier. You just need to be around people, right? You don't even have to, when someone is grieving, you don't have to ask them the question that they've heard a thousand times a good bro hug or, you know, just an embrace conveys so much more in feeling than it does in words. And hundred percent and just make eye contact with the person and be like, I got you right. Like done and end a conversation right there. You know, um, th- there's so much that, that has to be said about that where if you are a listener, who's like, man, I can't talk about death and dying, dude, then don't freaking talk. Just be there. Right. Be a well, presence. We, in the in the Christian church world, we just, we call that a, a ministry of presence. You're just going to be there. Um, and that was the that was the first. I was teaching high school, and I had no idea I was going to be a pastor or even pursue this, um, or you know that God was going to make a call that on my life or anything. Because it was one of my wife's coworkers was in surgery. And she had two kids who are high school age and I was going to be at the, I took a day off and I was going to be in the waiting room just to support my wife as she supported this family. And it's like, Oh, there's two high school age young men here. And so I'm going to, so I'm going to hang out with them. Like I teach these guys, I know them. They weren't students of mine, but I knew of them. And we hung out for seven hours while mom was in surgery. And it was talking about, you know, I mean, this was in early 2000s. So just what's happened in the news, what's going on in the world and went and got him food and just kind of like, Oh, is, is this what 
is this what it looks like to help people? Because I was terrified of the questions and the what ifs. And, you know, I, I wasn't in a place where I was even thinking about doing this as a job or even, you know, strong in my knowledge of Bible stuff or I just, I just was there. And then that kind of opened me up to years later when it's like, I can do this. You know, I can be, I can be a little off color and inappropriate humor wise. And, and that sometimes helps. And, just being in the room, like the bro hug is the biggest thing in the world for guys to go help other guys or, or not just the awkward side hug because, you know, it's someone that you're not dating or it's not your wife, but to get a full on hug to a spouse who's, you know, watching her husband suffer and just hold them tight and just like, I'm here for you. I'm not going anywhere. Um, I can sit you know, and I, and I have the, I have the, the blessing of getting paid to do that kind of stuff now. Like there is no job conflict. There's nothing where I can show up at a hospital or show up at someone's house in their worst time. And I'm just camping out here. Like this is where I'm going to be for the next six hours. And I'm going to be here and I might end up running a vacuum or I might end up, you know, answering questions or helping plan memorial services or whatever it takes. I'm not going anywhere. Um, and that's huge. That's, that's the, and it shows you that you're cared for, not just in a fleeting way, but someone's willing to drive and bring you your favorite coffee. That speaks <laughs> volumes because I'm sure that that conver the, a conversation between your friend was, you know, talking about the, the grief process might not be in his wheelhouse, but he can bring coffee and he can give you a hug and he can be there. Yeah. And stayed for 15 minutes and then turned around. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah. Jerry, you're crazy. He goes, no, he goes, this is my day off and it's only driving, you know, and that's Jerry, you know, um, yep. one of the things you just touched upon is the idea of food and, mm -hmm. you know, for all my friends who are, are listening from the South, you guys are awesome when it comes to soul food, you know, <laughs> like I, I, I will eat biscuits and gravy all day and, and give me good grits with a big mound of butter on top. Like, oh my uh -huh. gosh. Well, when this was all happening, uh, one of the things that really made a difference. And again, if you're not the type that wants to talk about things, or maybe you're not the touchy feely type that wants to give that hug and you're like, well, what the heck can I do to help someone? If someone doesn't have to worry about preparing food, that's one less thing that they have to worry about. Um, yep. we pulled out all of the paper plates and all of the plastic, you know, cutlery and, and spoons and forks and to not have to worry about dishes. That was yep huge. Uh, Doc Jones, another one of our field craft instructors, he reaches out to me and he goes, Hey Kev, uh, what's your Venmo? I'm like, what are you talking about? Nate? He goes, I'm going to Venmo the crap out of you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and next thing you know, he, he, he sent it through his wife's account and he's like, go buy food. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like what the heck is this? You know? And, and that was a, such a simple way of, of helping. And then you know, as this is happening, and I guess you could break down like family emergencies, like the death and dying process, either it's going to be rapid or it's going to be long-term. And mm -hmm. what I refer to as long-term is like, you have more than 24 hours to, to, to think and to process. Um, so my, my parents are older and I moved out of, out of Connecticut and my dad is, you know, 83. Um, and he kind of let the backyard go. Like it got grown in and he's from the jungle. So my dad always was uh -huh. like, Oh, it reminds me of home. I'm like, dad, 
it looks like, <laughs> like it's abandoned, you know? Well, I mentioned that to one of my other buddies, a uh, hunting buddy who I was on the podcast with recently uh, talking about school shootings. And he goes, I have a bunch of boys and it's character building. You don't have to worry about your backyard because I mean, I live across the country from them now. I'd have to fly back to work with what tools that I brought with me to Utah, you know, and he's like, right. nope, don't worry about it. I got you. So again, whether you're providing food, you're mowing someone's lawn, you just said you're running the vacuum. Like there are ways of being supportive and helping people that are your friends, your family without having to do the emotional lifting. You know? And there's, there's a, like it's, there's people that are famous that are, you know, successful entrepreneurs that, that cut out all the stuff in their life so that it's one less decision to make. And so like, by the end of the night, you know, you take, you have decision paralysis. You don't want to decide where to go eat. You don't want to. And when a family's in the middle of, of trauma, any kind of traumatic event, and you can take that, that one decision out that they don't have to worry about. Well, then they can focus on all the other things that are happening, their own care. They can focus on family and the time that they're going to spend with family. If they have, you know, some last few weeks or days with the family member and, when you can, you can provide that kind of a gift because, you know, not everybody is so close to you that you want them there in the room or at the house all the time. Cause that's, that's a pretty intimate moment. Um, and some people aren't comfortable with that, but they can sure help in a million ways. I will suggest though, that when your people are cooking and bringing food over that, um, there's a, there's a couple ways of the people that, um, in our church organizers, a, there's an app and a service called meal train and all these other things to where you can actually coordinate what's happening so that people, so you don't get seven lasagnas show up. And then it sounds like a good problem the, right there, man. <laughs> Freeze that stuff. Then the, <clears throat> the family will feel guilty because they they can't possibly eat all this food. And so you freeze it for a while, or then they feel almost uh, overwhelmed by it because they just don't feel like eating. And so all the food starts showing up, but then they feel bad. Now I'm, I eat through everything. So I don't really have to worry about that, but you know, that kind of stuff where if you had someone, one of those friends who might be the, the organizational one or the real type a personality and say, Hey, how you could help me this way. Just, could you organize, can I give everybody that's texting me your number and you just run with it? I trust you. You handle it. Cause I don't have the capacity right now. And there's always someone in your circle that just loves to organize and do that stuff. And that's out of my wheelhouse, but, and you just turn them loose with it. And what a blessing to be able to say, I'm using my gift of organization and kind of the details. And then they can organize food for the family and just start showing up. And it's pretty cool. Oh, for sure. That like all the extreme couponers out there, that's yes. talking to you guys. Uh, yes. You know, I think it's probably not the probably not the freeze dried meal <laughs> prepared people because that gets old after a while. But someone there's there's someone that makes sure everything is folded a certain way in their their drawers. They could be the one to handle that. Yeah, and I I think speaking of organization and control, I think it's really important that you control the room. And yeah, like my mother was at home in hospice care in the house that I grew up in in the living room in a in a hospital bed. But that's not mm -hmm. an option for everyone, right? Like you may not mm -hmm. be 
suffering or your loved one may not be suffering from a terminal illness where they have the luxury of, of passing in the presence of comfort of what they, they know they might be in a hospital room, but you have the option as a friend and as a loved one to control that room. You put up cards. If you want, you keep certain people out of that room. If you know that that person is going to cause trouble with that person who's suffering, right? Like if they, Maybe, maybe that person isn't in a good state because they have been drinking. Well, guess what? Control the room. Don't let that drunk in that, mm-hmm. in that room, right? Like that's your responsibility as a friend, as a loved one is to make sure that if this person is on their final days, you control that room. You do not like, you have to control it because you don't want that person to suffer more than they have to. Um, and you want to make sure that that room, whether it looks like it's not cluttered or it's loaded with balloons and, and cards or whatever it is, you get an opportunity to decide what that room looks like, you know? And, and I think that's really, really important uh, because, you know, there are going to be a lot of people potentially that want to potentially that want to uh, come by and visit, but maybe not everyone should, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I think that's that's very wise because it, you don't want, and even not not even just for the person who's who's about to pass. There's all families have some kind of a dynamic, and if it's you know, I'm real thankful and it's great and everything's beautiful and everyone gets along. But you know, I think we all have that. Maybe not cousin Eddie, but we all has a we all have a cousin or someone in our family that can cause tension to rise and everyone else around and you don't want someone's last moments on earth to be the family instead of focusing on that and taking care of each other to be some fringe outside person a nosy neighbor or someone they used to work with they could stand to be around and so if you you're 100 right control the room and make it as peaceful as it can be for everyone involved for the people that do get bedside right? Like I, I have two older sisters and, you know, I was staying at my parents' house with my dad. My dad and my mother were married just shy of 54 years. Like they Mm -hmm. were husband and wife together. My dad was a physician. My mom was his office manager in home practice for over 40 years. Um, and my dad slept right by her side in a chair the whole time. Uh, Wow. And I, and I slept in a reclining chair at the other end of the room. And then during the daytime I would take a break. And I think that was important was that you, you have to schedule break times because it's exhausting. Um, but what I wanted to get at was if you are in the room and you have the opportunity to talk to your loved one, who's, you know, on their final days, the importance of, of putting it all out on the table right? If you had any disagreements with your loved one, you have to forgive them. Um, mm-hmm. you have to recognize what they're going through. You have to talk about it openly. Like you can't say, well, you know, you're, you know, you're going to pull through if something is guaranteed like 0% chance of, 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 uh, survival. Um, you can pray together. You can reminisce on the good times. Um, mm-hmm. you know, personally, my mom and I, we, we didn't always, see eye to eye, right? I mean, maybe it's because I'm the youngest and she still looked at me as a baby, even though I'm like six feet tall and 220 pounds, you know, (laughs) like, you know, like I was still her, like her little boy. Right. Um, but I said to her on her, in her final days, I I held her hand 
And I said, mom, you know, you and I didn't always get along and we argued. And if I ever made you upset, I'm sorry. And she said, I, I accept your, your apology and I'm sorry if I ever upset you too. We had this amazing hug. What advice do you have for people who are going through something similar? Like, like I always, I always say like, just get it all out there. But what exactly does that mean? If I were to say in your definition, what does it mean to get it all out there? What would you tell people to do? Um, I think along the lines of what you shared, if there's something that's, you don't want, everyone regrets not being able to say the things that they wanted to say when it's more of a, uh, sudden or, and you don't have that time at the bedside because there's, there's no options. There's nothing left. And, um, but when you have the time, I think it's very important to, to be able to say like, hey, just like what you said, it doesn't have to be the specifics. I think it can be a little dangerous when you start going, remember that one time, 15 years ago, you said this, yeah. that's really not helpful. And I don't think I've not really ever heard anybody go down that road, but if in your head, you're going to try to get some kind of a, you know, a place of reconciliation over a certain event may be necessary, but for the most part, it's going to be like, listen, I was a, I was a turd of a kid and I know I gave you a lot of stress, but I want you to know that I, I've been trying and I want to be, you know, the, the in more generalities because it does, it helps leave, it helps leave things. You don't want to leave things so undone that you, your head swirls with all of the what ifs, because that can make the, that can make the grieving process so much harder. And then the person who's, who's about to, to pass is what I've often found is that at the end of someone's life, they don't care about the, the will and, and what they're leaving behind and all the things that are undone, they often will, especially talking to me, they want to know that their family is going to be okay. They want to know that someone's going to help them through this. They want to know that, um, especially around faith things, they want, if the family's been far from, from God or far from, you know, the practice of their family, then they're going to, that all of a sudden becomes even more important in this moment to someone who's about to pass. And so if you can help ensure them of all those things. And so you don't leave things just left out there to wonder. Um, and I think that's, it's really important. It's important for not only the person who is passing, but it's also important for the family that's left behind. Um, I, I was a, it's been several years ago, a guy was, was, uh, he was older and he was dying from kidney failure and had a lot of things that were kind of piling up and, and he was in the hospital for five days and he was, unresponsive and it took it took his wife leaning into him and just whispering in his ear that she was going to be okay and that's all he talked about even in the, the couple months leading up to his death was that he was really worried about his wife being okay and so when she had that moment she whispered in his ear it was just a matter of minutes and he took his last breath here on earth and took his first breath in heaven it was just a beautiful moment where he was holding on because he cared so much about how his wife was going to be. And, um, and so it was just, it was a clear sign to me. Like if you've, if you've got things you're worried about and stressed and you need to, to really say those things out loud, it's best just to say it. It's interesting. You bring up that story because, uh, a friend of mine, uh, 
Big John, we call him because he's like 6'2", 300 pounds. Uh, we wouldn't want to call him <laughs> Little John. Uh, so Big John was like, you know, sometimes you just have to tell your loved one, you know, it's okay to go, you know, yeah. uh, because they want to fight and they want to hang on. And when my mother passed away uh, on a Friday night, you know, we were just silent around her. We weren't talking to her as much. We just were listening to her breathing. And, you know, she passed sat Saturday morning at 445. Um, but we all kind of kissed her goodnight and we said, good night, mom, you know, I love you, that type of thing. Um, but I'm, I'm a believer in that too. I think if someone can hear you, uh, they're hearing you up until their last minute and in the back of their mind, they're registering, okay, I can, I don't have to fight. I can go on. Um, that's something that I didn't believe was going to happen until it did. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and it's not a unique experience to me if it happened to my friend, John, and I, I heard it from multiple people and, you know, it, it's, it's something that could happen the next time, you know, I mean, believe me, it's not lost on my family that my dad's 83 and he had a true soulmate and that my dad, you know, we're trying to get him back to work. We're trying to, you know, and he wants to work. We're trying to get him involved, but we could lose my dad soon too. Um, so that you have to listen to your friends when they give you this advice, just like the advice that you're giving and that something like this could happen and it probably will happen a particular way. But you know, when you're caught in the moment of, of this long-term process, you may try to like, you know, zone out of certain conversations, but listen when someone is giving you advice like this, because it's going to help you. And it's not going to be a surprise when it happens that way. Um, you know, one of the things just to build on what you just said was, uh, you know, it's okay to ask your loved ones too. like any advice, you know, like ask them how, how should I live? and just listen to them. Um, you know, your, your loved ones won't always be there for you physically, but that doesn't mean that their spirit. And again, we don't have to make it Holy spirit. We can talk about the energy, right? Like the, the meaning of their life, their presence that can live on through you. So if they say, Hey, be a good person, you know, like my grandmother told me before she died, be a good boy. Well, I'm a little bit older than a boy now, so I'll just be a good man. <laughs> but I, I tend to live based on her advice to me. You know, and if you're in the process of, of crossing over, don't be afraid to charge the people around you with that type of moral living or that type of challenge, right? A charge can be an electrical outlet. A charge can be a physical run towards a threat or a charge can be a challenge and charges are powerful. You know, in those last moments, if, if someone's dying wishes for you to do something, I mean, you can, you can affect someone's life forever. Um, so do it in a good way. Um, have you experienced any of that? Like, have you had someone like really just turn their life around because of a, a end of life experience? Yeah, there's been, um, it's been more in the traumatic, uh, there was a, a young man who's 13 that he took his own life and I got, uh, I got the call just because I'm a police chaplain. His family didn't really have a a faith background or anything. And so they, they called and asked if I wanted to, if I was willing to come over and the, the cops all know me and we hang out and train together and drink a lot of coffee and talk. And so they're always, they know I'm willing to talk to anybody. And, and so they called and said, Hey, would you be willing to meet with this family? And so I did and went over and over the course of, and I had the honor of 
taking care of the memorial service and all those things. Um, and then they, the, I was able to build a relationship with them to where I've done some, some stuff with them as a family and the, the mom now she comes and hangs out at the, I don't know if this is a drinking game or not, but we, I, I am a part of that CrossFit cult. So that makes it even <laughs> harder. And, but, um, she comes to the gym and she's built a, uh, a relationship with the people in the gym and they didn't know anything about her story and over the court and I don't share. And so the course of a few months, more people kind of knew. And then there was a, another lady in the gym that, that we all work out together. Um, her son was older, he was in early twenties. He took his own life. And so I walked through that with that family and was part of the memorial service for them. And, and so now this couple who are, they're separated by about probably 15 years of age, 10 or 15. And so now they, they have a bond together through a shared pain and a shared hurt. And then we all at the same gym and their husbands are becoming friends. And it's just this, there's been a lot of change, a lot of growth, even in their relationship afterwards, but it was, it doesn't make the pain go away. It doesn't make it any easier, but it's definitely created some bonds where, um, where they're able to, to connect and help and serve others. And it's pretty cool. Um, there's still days when she'll have a, a bad day and she'll tell me. And so we talk about a little bit or what can I do to help or, and it, it doesn't, it doesn't go away. You just get through it. You don't get over the loss of family. You kind of get through it. And so, um, you know, there's not, I don't have any big red bows to tie on that they're, you know, going on a mission field and have all, you know, stuff like that, but mm -hmm. it's, you can see their lives are getting through the pain of what they've gone through. Um, and it's through, it's through community and through sharing that bond that, that kind of brings people together of, of pain and trying to get through it together. Yeah, I'd say my, my grandmother, go ahead. Oh, sorry. My grandmother was, I, I use this phrase all the time. So I guess I have a, she passed several years ago and she was sick off and on. She, my grandpa died 17 years before she did. And so she was alone for a long time and she was sick and she had a faith. She's one of the, the people that took me to church. The church was across the street from her house and I didn't go to church as a kid or anything, but just with grandma. And I was probably coloring or causing more trouble than anybody else around me. But, uh, she said over Christmas break when we were home visiting, um, she, she was in the hospital and she said, you know, I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be done here, but I just don't think it's right to give up. And I said, okay, grandma, like I, I think that's, that's noble. That's great. And then it was six months later, she was in the hospital again and we were just getting ready to come back to see family. We usually come back to Indiana twice a year and she held on till we made it. And we left a day early and we got to the hospital and she got to hug my kids. She knew who we were, knew who they were. And then after everyone left that night, she said, I think it's time to be done. I'm tired of fighting. And it was, I think about 24 hours later, she was gone. And I had the honor of, you know, doing her funeral service. And she just left this lasting legacy of, you know, it's, I have a confidence. She had a confidence in her faith and that's, you know, where I, I land. Um, but she also didn't feel it was okay to just give up. And I've shared that with a lot of people 
um, when they've been in hospice or been around and um, through some pain and some suffering. And, and I've, you know, that's, that's probably resonated and helped more than any of the other things that would come out of my mouth was. So I still, my grandma's legacy lives on and some of those things too. And that's powerful. And <clears throat> there are a lot of tough guys out there that don't want to admit how powerful their grandmothers were, <laughs> you know, like yeah. my grandmother was four foot 11, five feet tall. She used to hang out underneath my armpit whenever I would hug her. She'd be like, look how big my little boy is. <laughs> and I mean, she died at 98 and, uh, you know, self-reliant to the last day. She used to make, uh, she called it hooch. She's like, oh, we used to make bathtub hooch during prohibition. <laughs> You know? Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Tough, tough woman. Um, <laughs> you know, you said something about like getting through it. Right. And we're talking about grief mm -hmm. and that whole process. And, you know, one of the other phone calls I got or messages I got during my experience was from my friend, Ruben from, uh, SE knives, uh, mm -hmm. SE knives. We've had Shane Adams on the podcast. I've been friends with SE as long as I've been a survival instructor. Um, and, Ruben messaged me and he goes, Hey man, realize that this process is going to ebb and flow. It's like, it's like the ocean, you know, and you know, the sand can be damp, but it's still there. The water is still there, but then it's going to come back at times. And sometimes it's going to really flow in. And you got to understand that because you got to be prepared for those days when it's going to come in hard. Right. And you might need to just take time. Um, and that's totally normal, you know, totally fine. I mean, that's, that's part of the process. Um, and if you understand that, then when it comes time to dealing with or addressing someone else's grief, that might keep you from saying things like, dude, just get over it. Like, whoa, yeah. that's like, if someone were to say to that, to, say that to me, like immediately after my mother's passing, I probably would have grabbed him. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And that's that there's that anger coming out. Right. Um, but that's something that you have to recognize is that grief doesn't go away, but it just kind of lingers. But then some days it comes back and something might bring that up. Um, who was I just talking to the other day? And he said that, oh, uh, my friend Scott, he said that when his father passed and he got to visit the dad in the hospital, the dad had a uh, old spice cologne on. And mm. he said he cannot smell that cologne without getting upset because that's what his dad smelled like. You know, and that's the type of thing, like you never know what's going to trigger someone to use that, that term. Like you never know what's going to make someone upset. So just respect people. And if someone says, Hey, I, I don't want to do that. Like, don't, don't push them, you know, and don't say something like get over it. Yeah. That's the worst. I mean, I have a, I have a, a strong theological conviction and I'll point people to to Jesus and I'll, you know, cause I believe he's the way and I'll, I a hundred percent will have those, those conversations, but you don't, you don't walk into a situation, just throw a, a Bible verse at someone and say, you know, all things work together for the glory of God. And that's, I believe that's a theological truth, but in that moment, you're the biggest jerk <laughs> to say that to someone in the middle of their grief, like don't there's a there may come a time for that and there but there may not you might not have that close of a relationship with a person and to just throw platitudes or it's just not helpful um, and then and I I tell I think I messaged you 
that I tell people in my church, like, you know, we're a, we're a church family and we have theological convictions and we want to tell people what we believe is true. But in those moments, if you say those words, if they don't hit you, I will. Like that is not appropriate. Um, right. Because there's, there's, like you said, every, there can be these things that would set you off or things that are, they can be really good memories. Um, like my, my grandmother, I just talked about her. She, uh, I might be thinking a lot about her cause I'm home in Indiana right now visiting family. And, uh, but she always had cans of, of, uh, Pepsi in the cabinet. She never put them in the refrigerator. And so there are times when I don't drink soda a whole lot, but when there's, there are times when it's like, I'll, I'll get a Pepsi and it makes me think of her. And there's these great joyful memories that can be there. But on the flip side, there can be like the old spice smell. There can be something that just cuts you at your knees. Um, and I think there's, there's two things. One, um, some ancient, you know, Middle Eastern practices for mourning, especially in the Jewish community where you would, you would give yourself one year, one full year of, uh, the whole community would know that you're very sensitive, that this is a time. And it was, it was, it feels like it was a collective understanding that you need one time around the sun just to see that it's going to be okay. That you don't put a lot of undue stress. That's why you'll hear people say things like, don't make any rash decisions the first year. Don't change every, don't do a lot of crazy things the first year because you're still in the grief process. And you make it a year and you've made it through every Christmas, every birthday, every holiday. You've made it one full year into that anniversary to just almost for yourself to say, like, I'm going to I can make it. I can make it. Um, and then you, you get through it by the friends and the community supporting you more than maybe they do. But they give you a year of saying, I'm here. And then you as a person walking through it are going to commit to to trust some others in your life. Like, you know, Hey, I think I'm going to quit my job and move over here. Well, hang on a minute. Let's talk about this. Is this a wise decision? Is this good for you? Or are you just trying to make a lot of new changes so that you don't have to deal with what you're going through? Because, and you will, you can see relationships blow up. You can see people become jerks, people distance themselves. And, and the hope is that you've got some people around you that'll press into that and say, Hey, I know you said stay away, but, we're too tight for me to just let you go. I'm going to be here anyway. I'm going to show up and then they can help you process through all that. Cause there's a, there's a counselor in, in town um, in Laramie that she does debriefs with the police officers. And I never heard this before that trauma stacks like pancakes is mm -hmm. her definition. And so if you had something that happened at childhood and you had something that happened as a teen maybe something in your early twenties or college age, and then you're in your thirties and something else happens. Well, the passing of your mother in your late thirties, I'm not sure how old you are. Um, I'm 46. So half that you might be feeling things that have kind of been stacking for years. And so then all of a sudden you have this flood of stuff where it's this, this one moment is really what has kind of tipped the stack and it's all coming running on top of you. And so you'll start having thoughts about stuff that happened 15 years ago and you're questioning decisions you've made and you're questioning all this stuff. And it's really just the whole, the whole stack of your life has collapsed. And now you're trying to process, not just this one moment or this one event, you're now processing 20 years of events. Um, and it can be pretty overwhelming 
And so if you don't have somebody to help you process through that, um, whether it's seeking professional help with a counselor or talking to a chaplain or a great friend who's going to love you no matter what crazy things you say, that's, it's so key because you're, you're only going to, I know in the, you're in the training world and the, I hear all the time in some of the classes I've taken and things about your, and when, when the moment hits and when things hit hard, you're going to rise to the level of your training. Right. And I hear that all the time. Well, I think the flip side or the parallel to that is the same is true of your emotional or your spiritual state. And so when, when things hit, you're going to rise to the level of your emotional and spiritual health. And so if you've not done the work and you've not, had a pattern and a consistency of seeking space and seeking time and seeking some solitude. So you know how to process things and you've got people in your life that you do that with. Then when this moment happens and your, your pancake stack of, you know, your whole life and the things you've been through and the stuff you've walked through all just comes crashing. And then it, you're going to rise to the level of that training. And so then you don't have, your anchors pulled out from under you and then you're just, you throw your hands in the air and you don't know what to do. And so then you, you kind of flounder because you don't have the support systems or the spiritual health to, to really walk through that. So um, it sounds like it's better so, to deal with one pancake at a time, right? As opposed to let them stack and stack and stack and then try to tackle it all at once. Which as, as men in general, especially American men, we're terrible at that. Like, <laughs> Never, never let you see you. Never let them see you sweat, and you'll get through it, and just suck it up and rub some dirt uh, in it. Yeah, yeah. And so then it just, it just, it can lead to some really, really hard times. Um, but it can also, like I've also seen when that happens, it's finally time to deal with stuff. It finally puts everything into perspective, and so you're you're no longer chasing all the stuff, or you're not going to hold on to the the things that have really hurt you and wounded you, you're going to let them go. You're going to seek some help. Um, you're going to not hold the grudges you've held because you realize they're petty. Um, and then you're, you know, and sometimes those, I mean, I've, I've always disliked the, any spiritual leader, any pastor that is like an ambulance chaser and they feel like a funeral service or right after something tragic has happened, that that's your time to start dropping all kinds of, your wisdom on them or start trying to rush them into a church because they can be really damaging. You just need to be there for the person. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I'm always going to have those conversations and I'm open to them all because I think there is a way and I think there is a, uh, someone to follow. And I believe that with everything I have, or I wouldn't do the job I have, but in those moments, like you're open to all kinds of things because everything you've held to be true is now, shaken and you're very open and receptive. So it can be a double-edged sword. You can go down some really dark path or you can really, you can really find some light in all that darkness too. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I, I feel like we could talk for hours about this. Um, and I know that there are hours of conversations that, you know, people could have with, with loved ones. Um, but you know, we were kind of pressed for time. What I want to just bring up are just a few things that I, I've been thinking about while you've been talking about like these sure. last end of days things that just are, are maybe kind of like rapid fire ideas, you know, depending if you're the person or you have a loved one who 
is in their final days, you may want to have some things ahead of time, right? Like we're a preparedness company. Like you should be prepared for this. One of the things that my mother had was, you know, life insurance, you know, and the cost of a funeral can be crippling to some people. Um, I mean, my mother wanted a very modest funeral and it still was very expensive. And she had that covered for us. And we were like, whoa, she got that insurance policy when she was how old, you know, like that was something that we were, we were blown away by was just that my mother was very practical with her decision-making something that caught us off guard. My mom was like, I want seven people at my funeral and at my wake. (laughs) She's like you, me, right? You, your father, your sisters, your, your nieces. And that was it. Well, that was well and great. Love you, mom. But you didn't tell us that we weren't going to have pallbearers. So now I've got (laughs) to carry my mother's casket with my two sisters who are smaller than me. And that was a decision. Like maybe you might want to know like who's going to be at your funeral to carry you quite literally. Um, you know, and, and it's, you know, it's kind of morbid, but it's funny at the same time. My mother didn't prepare us for that. Um, but, uh, that was something that was really important. And then, you know, there are other little things like end of days, like with, with the will think about with your will, you know, a lot of people don't have a will and what happens to you if you don't, well, it goes to probate. And your yep. stuff will probably go to someone that you don't want it to go to. Well, if you spend a little and you prepare ahead of time, then maybe your friends will end up with the stuff that you love and your loved one won't bring it to a pawn shop or sell it for what it's not worth, right? Which I'm sure you would yeah. roll over in your grave if, if you found out that your you know, custom 1911 went for the price of a high point. Um, yep. You know what I mean? So- all these are are practical and none of us are going to win the the battle against death. Death is going to take us all at the end. So you might as well just accept it and make it easier for all the people around you. Um what are what are your some like some of your ideas? Like you talk to the your law enforcement officers that you work with. I mean, like they they obviously are very good and very supportive with their community. But then after all of the, like the initial crash and that, that, that pain is thrown on them at the funeral and whatnot, and now it's long-term, what do you say to someone when they're like, Hey, I've got so-and-so's contact in my phone. I don't want to delete their number because that Mm -hmm. was something that, that hit me hard. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, I had to go with my dad to delete my mother's phone and, Mm -hmm. You know, I, I'm, I'm at that store. I'm not going to mention the cell phone provider, but let's just say that I'm a very patient man. But when I was told, oh, you're going to have to go over here to do that. I, I raised my voice and everyone in the, in that store was like, who the hell is this guy? Why is he that angry? Because I was like, my mother is dying of cancer or my mother is dying of cancer. I've already made three phone calls. Make this easy on me. And he's like, well, sir, yeah. you're gonna have to go over here. And I was like, oh my God, like I, I saw red. So yeah. what do you say to the, to someone who is now struggling with like the little things like that? Like, I don't want to delete this, or I have to go to their house and I have to get rid of all their clothes. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what, like we've been talking about dealing with and dealing with and dealing with at some point we're not getting over, but we do have to make big steps to, to truly let this person 
rest in peace. Like, how do you, how do you advise someone to, to deal with those little things like the phone and the clothes and, and little affairs like that? Um, I usually, I, I try to tell people that there's no, there's no, uh, manual for this. There's no right or wrong. Um, some people will, you know, if it's a child, um, they'll keep a room kind of intact for quite a long time. Um, or if, you know, like you're sharing a closet with someone and you can't bring yourself to, to empty that side of the closet because it's, it's going to be, it's one more part of the grief process of bringing a finality to it. And so I just, I try to tell people to have what well, we've kind of, I got, I'm a broken record, have people around you that can help you with that. And there's no, there's no proper timeline. So some people are like, well, no, I just, I need to get it out of here because the memories are too hard. So I need to get it out. Okay. As long as you're okay with this and we've processed it, then we'll do that. And other people are like, I just can't bring myself to it. And you'll have somebody murmuring in the corner of, gosh, they just, they really need to make this step. And, and I'm always telling people just to be quiet. It's not your grief process. You need to let this person walk through it. Um, but stuff like the, you're, this is probably the fifth time I've heard someone have to deal with the cell phone company and how, how horrific that is. And I don't know if, if anybody would ever listen to this works for one of the large carriers, but they need to do a better job of making it easier for people who are in the middle of pain to deal with stuff. Um, and I don't know what that looks like or how they need to make that policy change, but that's been, you're the, you're about the fifth person I've heard have a terrible instance like that and maybe letting someone else that you trust i know you need power of attorney and all the stuff to make the decisions but if someone can do all that legwork for you um because that can be i mean even even months later mail showing up at the house in your mom's name is going to be one more like hit and it's there's and i don't know a good way other than having people that can maybe screen help help you walk through it. Um, or like you mentioned before, having things pre-planned or laid out. So there aren't questions. We, when I first got to the church in Wyoming, they had, I saw these, I, I was going through my the office and I was taking it over and they had these funeral pre-planning booklets that were like who you want for pallbearers, what kind of food you want, your favorite song, your favorite Bible verse, do you want to be buried or cremated? Like all these details. And I remember thinking I was, gosh, I was 36. And it's my first church being the senior pastor. of, And I thought, this is the most morbid thing I've ever seen. I can't believe this is here. Well, 10 years later, I think it's one of the biggest blessings that you could do. If you're at a place where you can pre-plan that stuff out and you can tell people that because it takes, it takes the decision-making out of that place of grief because it's so hard for the family to begin with. And if you can add some of those things in there to make it there's no questioning, then you can enjoy the time and the celebration. And, but then I also tell people like, and I'm, I'm sure you're, you're being very respectful to your mom. Um, and that's a beautiful thing, but there's also the, there was a, um, a lady who, whose husband passed. He's very private. He didn't want a memorial service. He didn't want anything like that, but his family really needed some, a space for some, for some closure. And so we just did a small, thing in the, the back of the church and it ended up being, you know, about 60, 70 people showed up, maybe a little more. And there was no big churchy service, no big 
deal, but it was just a way for all the family and friends to gather. And she stressed over it for a while. And, and she, and I just told her, I was like, listen, you know, your husband loved you. This isn't about him. This isn't about him. Now he's, he's gone. This is about what you need and what your family needs. So if you and your kids are okay with doing something a little more than what he had said, it's going to be okay, but you need to be okay with it. Don't let people that say stuff outside or whatever, it's got to be you and the family. And they had a good time to say goodbye. And um, yeah, I don't know where I'm going with that. I'm starting to ramble, but I just, I think if you have those, if you have, if you have people that are around you that can help with even those details and when you can't, you know, maybe it's a, when you're done in that store and you've dealt with it and you just have someone you can just go crazy on and they can get mad with you and encourage you and then say, okay, do we get it all out? Okay, let's move on. And, and just help you process through that without being condescending. Like you don't want someone to say to you, just get over it in perspective. That doesn't really matter. It does matter. It, it definitely matters because it's caused anger and pain in the middle of grief. And you don't want any of that. So having people to process that with, I think is really key. Yeah. <clears throat> my, uh, one of my friends, one of the guys I'm actually training in, in Filipino martial arts, he had a colleague back in Minnesota who had a terrible, terrible, uh, tragic, tragic event happen where immediate members of his family were, were killed. And he called his friend and he said, listen, man, he's like, I'm willing to fly out there and just let you yell at me, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. and sometimes that's needed. So I, I agree with Definitely. you with everything that we said today. Um, you know, we ha I could, like I said, go on for hours and hours, but, but we can't, um, if someone wanted to reach out to you, if someone's listening and want to, to message you or talk to you, how can they reach out to you? If they're in a, a place where they're in pain, they don't have answers or they just need advice. Uh, I mean the social media is, uh, it's just at Mike Berry on Instagram. That's, I don't really use the other stuff, but, um, or my phone number and it's 304-893-2888. And so if, if I don't know the number, I just let it go to voicemail. So if you leave me a message, then I'll get back to you, but, um, or a text or whatever. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty open to talk to anybody. I might take me a day to get back to you, but I'm pretty willing to talk to anybody that needs some help. Well, that's very, very admirable, Mike. And, you know, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, is there anything else that we didn't cover that you, you want to end with? I'm going to give you the final word. Um, I would say the, there's something I've been reading a lot about here lately that we, I know as a, you do all the survival training and stuff that there's some real healing and being disconnected from all the social media stuff in the world and getting into nature. And just, there's a, an audio book, I think it was free. It was called the three day effect. And the author takes some veterans and some women who've been rescued from trafficking and a fellow author and just talks about getting people disconnected from all the chaos and being in nature. Um, and the first two, the veterans and the, the women rescued from trafficking, those were both, um, you know, spiritually or Christian led kind of things. And they talked all about God in them, but the author at the end was just the third person. But there's, I see a, a continuity between disconnecting from chaos and being in nature and then having the space to deal with spiritual things. Um, really being important. And so if I know a lot of the people who probably listen to this are 
involved, interested in those things. And so if it's a park or for me, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I'm in Wyoming. I've always needed to be in a place where I felt really small. And so when I lived in West Virginia, there was a, a park is um, on the top of a hill that overlooked the Ohio River. And it was actually a, a fort, um, Fort Borman, where you could, they had some gun batteries. And during the Civil War, they protected the river. And so I could go up there and I could just be alone and be quiet. And now that I live in in Wyoming, I, I'm 20, I'm 30 minutes from being on a mountaintop where my cell phone doesn't work. And so I can just be completely alone and silent. And I need that. I need to to disconnect. And when the world is coming at me, like I did two weeks ago, I had a week where I did three memorial services and that kind of weight will kind of rest on me for a season. And so I needed to get away. And so I took my fly rod and I drove 30 miles up and I jumped in a Creek and caught some fish and spent the day away from everybody and, um, spent a lot of time praying and was journaling and, um, but just getting away really, I think helps people through a grief process too. But that can be a dangerous thing because maybe you don't need to be alone. So I would, I would do that in, um, in moderation. But I think some space to sit and to process and to deal and not just get back to work is really important for people. Outstanding. Well, Mike, thank you so much for coming on, guys. If you ever need to talk, you got resources like Mike. You've got resources in your community. You can hit us up at Fieldcraft. I mean, we do like doing cool stuff, but we're also here for you. So guys, this is the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast and I'm signing off. Thanks. Thanks.